We'll be reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 17 this morning. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. And he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel he will bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Thank you, Greg. Good morning. Sixteen years ago, I was in San Francisco with my wife, and we were on a a journey to go on some vacation, and we had had about a three-hour layover in San Francisco. And it was back in the day when your family could come and visit you uh, in the airport and hang out with you while you were on layover. And so we called up my mom and dad because we wanted to see them and we wanted to share some things with them. And so they showed up, and we went to this little uh, French restaurant in San Francisco uh, airport, and my mother's French, and we sat there and had a delightful time, and, and we went to order uh, dessert. And as we, after we ordered dessert, we slid across the table uh, a picture of an ultrasound of our child-to-be, and on top of that uh, was a Baby Ruth uh, candy bar that we put on top. My mother, my mother started crying. And my dad said, I don't like baby Ruth. <laughs> he just didn't get it. He didn't get it. It took him a while. So it was our birth announcement of our son who was to come. And the story this morning in Luke is, is about this wonderful birth announcement from Zechariah and Elizabeth, of John, who would be John the Baptist. And the announcement of that was to bring great joy to all the people who heard, and great joy in life to those who would listen to the message of John, who would prepare the way for the Messiah. The scriptures speak 
that it was a time of incredible difficulty. It was a time of the King Herod of Judea who ruled the land. And Herod was a king who was evil in in every possible way. He was one who had built all kinds of things, structures in the land. He was the one who built the second temple. And so he brought that into the Jewish community. But he was evil, evil, evil to the core. We have some images of Herod that were put up. This image, as you notice, looks very Roman because at the time, Rome controlled the land. And Herod was a pawn in the middle of that. Herod was playing the game of keeping the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And yet he ruled with incredible might and evil and destroyed a lot of lives. This is the time, this is the context of when the whole birth of Christ was to take place in the birth of John the Baptist. Herod was known in his community, uh, it was written about him that he was a Jew in religion, he was heathen in his practice, and he was a monster in character. And even Caesar Augustus said of Herod that it would be much better for you to be his hog than one of his sons. Because he killed many of his sons, and he killed many of his wives, and he just killed pretty much anybody he felt like killing. It was a difficult time. Zachariah and Elizabeth were right in the middle of all of this. And their own personal journey was one of struggle and and, and one of faith, learning to trust in the Lord. It was a time when King Herod took over the rulership. He was an Edomite. That was out of the line of Esau. Remember the old Jacob-Esau story? And that's where he came from and ruled as a Jew who really, again, had nothing to do with God. But placed in the kingship. There wasn't any kingship taking place. It had been about 580 years. And Israel had always been humiliated and controlled by all these different powers throughout the years. And so... There was a king who was pretty much put into place by Rome. And again, the the time was evil and dark. Zeus of Apollonia wrote a poem about him. Said this, You're a mean one, King Herod. You really are a heel. You're about as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. Somebody stole that, I think. <laughs> King Herod was, was a puppet who was playing in the land, and he introduced in the community all kinds of immorality. He brought in Roman temples to be worshipped in. He built those. Brought in worship to Roman gods. There was all kinds of sexual immorality. It was a hard time. Even the priesthood in the temple was corrupt. There was a trading and a bargaining for priestly offices and a selling of offices. These were desperate times in Israel. There was darkness, weariness, injustice, disease that was going on. There was desperation. And you can only assume that the people of God were going, God, where are you? 
It had been 400 years since hearing any sort of prophetic voice from God. God, have you abandoned us? Where are you in the middle of all of this? In the middle of all the evil that was taking place. We're we're right in the middle of it today, aren't we? A land that is full of evil. There is murder going on all around. Our hearts have broken to the core over what took place in Connecticut this week. But I think it also woke us up. We live in a broken, evil world. There's been that type of murder of children all throughout the world for history, generations upon generations. But we in America just got a real dose of it, didn't we? And you need to understand something. It was in this evil context that God invaded for a purpose. It's in the middle of brokenness and sin and destruction and death that God came to die for us, for our sin, and to offer life. We've never been immune from evil in the world. But here's something you need to know. God has not abandoned us. When we ask those questions, God, where are you? How do you allow this to happen? He's not abandoned us. He hasn't abandoned those families in Connecticut. He's right there with them. God so loved the world that he sent his son. God invaded humanity with his love. And it started out with Zechariah and Elizabeth as he brought forth the one who would prepare the way for the Messiah, Jesus. In the middle of a corrupt time, Galatians 4, 4 says, in the fullness, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law in order that he might redeem those who were under the law and that we might receive adoption as his children. When the fullness of time comes, that that means in God's perfect timing, which was absolutely a corrupt, crazy world, which it still is today, God sent his son. Why? So that we might be his children. That we might have life in Christ. And as I celebrate this morning, that we might have joy in our Lord and Savior. That's what the story is about. It doesn't take us away from the grieving and the heartache, but it reminds us that we can have life and hope and joy and peace in the middle of it because of who God is in our lives. And it starts out with this announcement. In the middle of the pain, there was two. There was this remnant, this beautiful remnant, Zechariah. Jehovah has remembered is his name. And Elizabeth, God is an oath. Basically meaning God keeps his oath, his promises. Zechariah and Elizabeth were the picture-perfect couple. They were the ones who were serving God faithfully, They were devout. The scriptures define them as righteous in sight of God. They observed all the Lord's commandments and his decrees blamelessly. They they were, to the core, righteous. And, And they were most beautiful because they were righteous in the sight of God, not in the sight of men, although they had that as well. 
The Pharisees were the righteous ones in the sight of men, but they had nothing to do with God. Zacharias and Elizabeth were before the Lord, pure and holy. They were kind of your perfect Christmas card. You can just picture them holding hands, walking through the snow, twinkle in their eye. Pure. Good. And then everything comes to a crashing halt in verse 7 to this couple. And this is what it says. Yet Elizabeth was barren. She couldn't have children. Not only was she barren, but then it adds even more on top of that. And they were very old, or they were beyond the years of childbearing. What that really means was there was no way in heck they were going to have a kid. Their bodies literally, physically couldn't do it. And so they knew. The hope of having a child, okay, Lord, you've got us in a different place. All of that is taking place with Elizabeth and Zechariah. And you've got to understand what that means for them as a couple. Here's this couple who is, who is serving the Lord faithfully, who loves God, who are in the temple, who, who are living a life that is pleasing to God, truly sought after him with all their lives. And they're barren? Where is the joy at Christmas time in that? That doesn't make sense, Lord. I'm trying to please you. I'm trying to live my life for you. I should have a child, is what we say. You need to understand the heartache and the grief of coming to a place of realizing there would be no child. And in that culture, it was such incredible shame, especially for the woman. Every Jewish woman longed and hoped that she might be the Messiah's mother. That maybe someday she would be the one like Sarah wanted. Like all of the great saints who went before, the Jewish woman of old who wanted, oh, maybe I will be the mother of the Messiah. That was gone. Then it was the culture. And this is kind of what they would think. The reason you're not having a child is because obviously you've done something. And so God's curse is upon you. And then for Zechariah, the dad, I'm a priest. My great hope in life is that I'll have a son who will continue on in my heritage, the heritage of Aaron, and that he will be a priest. That hope was gone. And so they grieved. And yet in the middle of all that, they searched out the Lord. The situation seemed impossible, that there would never be a child to be born of them. And that's what's beautiful about this story, is that God works in the middle of the impossible things. And he works in the middle of our heartache and our troubles, and he brings joy. And he brings life. And he brings hope. You see, at this season, you know, we walk, into, we walk into here and all the Christmas lights are on and we're singing Christmas carols. And, and we have a real sense, like, we should have joy. 
Everything around us, everybody's telling us, oh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. We should have joy. And, and, and we struggle with, well, why don't I? Where is the joy at Christmas time? Because a lot of us, it's like, wait a second, just a couple weeks ago, I had a lot of pain. That didn't just go away because it's Christmas time. I've lost a dear family member. My relationship with my spouse is, is tumultuous and hard. That doesn't all just fade out because it's Christmas time. Where's the joy at Christmas time? Well, I want you to see what Zachariah and Elizabeth did in the middle of, of the heartache, in the middle of kind of going, God, where are you in the middle of all of this? What they did is they kept serving the Lord faithfully. They kept seeking after him. They kept wanting to know his truths. They kept, kept offering their lives unto him. They would lay their petition before the Lord. Here's what Psalm 16 says. And I think Psalm 16 is a beautiful psalm to, to answer that question. Well, what is joy? And how do we actually get it? You know, is it the Red Rider, you know, BB gun that we got? Where is joy? Here's what it says. Psalm, uh, excuse me, 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What is joy? I think, I think it's this, this beautiful, deep contentment, this, this peace, this, this rest, this absolute gladness, uh, this, this uh, hope, life, and it all comes to fullness in the arms of God. I did a baby dedication yesterday, and, and uh, dear friends of mine, Joe and Courtney, Tony, and their little daughter, Paisley. And it, it was cute. I, again, that's one of the reasons, you know, I, we never got to do this with the boys, but she had this beautiful little uh, dedication robe on, you know, gown on, and just absolutely gorgeous. And uh, so I'm going to get Josh in one of those beautiful dresses. <laughs> but the... Uh, Here's what Joe was doing. It was just, I mean, it's just a picture to me of, of the way God, way God loves us and where we just delight in him. But, you know, Joe was kind of tossing her up just a little bit in the air, and, and he would just catch her and just hold her real close. And she would just giggle. Like, I mean, the smile couldn't get any, any bigger. I mean, it was just picture perfect. And just laughing and, and just the, the, the grin and then just seeing Joe's face as he held his daughter and the joy for the father as well. What is joy? It's being right in the arms of, of our God. Knowing that he loves you fully. Knowing that he has your life. The Proverbs say we find joy in, in the fact that our that God reveals to me, to us, the path of life. He gives us truth. We find joy in truth. In living life. The world tells us, here's how to live life, and we find that that's empty real quick. God says, no, let me show you what life looks like. And there in that place, we find joy. 
He says, in your presence there is the fullness of joy. And that's, I think, for all of us in this season of kind of craziness and even in the middle of just some heartache that's going on for us because the holidays always bring out, the heartache gets heavier. Because, again, you're, you're supposed to have a real time of joy and sweetness with the family, yet there's all kinds of stuff going on. And the holidays just emphasize that, magnify it, that there's brokenness. But it can be, joy can be found in the fullness of the presence of God. And I just want to encourage you this week, as you prepare your hearts before the Lord, that you just spend time to be still, to know that He is God, to know that He's got His hand upon you, to know that all of this evil and corruption going on around, He's not, it's not out of control. And that He works in the middle of impossible things. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. At your right hand means at that place of, of value. You're honored there. It's the place of strength. Your right hand provides me pleasure. You're leading, you're guiding. And how valuable you are to God. May you never forget that, dear children of His. That's where we find joy. And so in the middle of a corrupt world, in the middle of being barren, in the middle of going, how does this all work out? God is going to bring joy and he's going to invade with this beautiful announcement that you will have a child. Because nothing is impossible with God. Remember those words whispered by Gabriel to Mary? Mary, Elizabeth's already pregnant. You're going to become pregnant with the Messiah. Because nothing's impossible with God. I hope you'll let the Lord just minister that to you. It's a truth about our God. You go, how can this relationship mend? Because nothing's impossible with God. How does a, a broken world find peace? Because God is pouring out his love all over the place. And I guarantee you he's pouring it out in Connecticut today. An overdose so that they would receive his comfort. He can bring joy in the middle of it. And God does. He brings joy in the middle of the impossible. He brings joy in our brokenness. He brings joy in our weakness. Joy in our ache. Why? Just because he loves us. To the core. He loves to bring us a gladness that is full. Where is there joy at Christmas time? There's joy in the providence of God. Look at this verse, verse 8. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God, in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. Now, Zechariah was a priest of God. He was in the lineage of Aaron. And so he would go to the temple. And what would happen is the priests were set into 24 different divisions. And they would go and serve at the temple. During uh, two times, two weeks a year, they would go, and they would serve a week at a time. 
doing the sacrifice and the prayers for the people of Israel. And then they would go at, at the festivals, Pentecost and Passover, Tabernacle. And all of them would go at that time. The thing that's amazing is, it was said that during this time, that were in the community, there was about twenty to 24,000 priests. Now here's what the scriptures say. At this time, Zechariah just happened to be chosen by Lot. It was selected that he would be the one to go in, and let me just show you a few images. He would go into the temple, and he would go and worship there, and go into the temple that was built by Herod the Great. This is a picture of a, of a rabbi when I was in Israel last time, just wandering through the temple square area, the temple mount, going off to do his service. I kind of picture Zechariah looking like that. But Zechariah was chosen to go in. And when you were chosen, you would enter in to the Holy of Holies that was built. And you go into this great room and you would have, you would have the menorah, the candles, and you'd have the showbread. And then right before the curtain of the Holy of Holies was the altar of incense. And you would get the privilege to go in. Now the thing you've got to understand is not every priest got the opportunity to do this. There's 24,000 of them. And so to be chosen to do this was, was the absolute joy of a priest who had a heart for God. It was everything they longed for to be able to go in and offer this prayer and this incense before God. And then outside in the courtyard, there would be thousands praying along with the priests as the incense went up. And the prayer of the priest would typically be, God, send your Messiah to our people. God, redeem us, your people. And they would go before the curtain. Show that next uh, image there. You would come in in your white purity, and then offer the incense before the Lord. And so Zechariah got to do it. By accident, there's joy in the providence of God. Nothing about all this story is by accident. That God had Zechariah exactly where he needed him to be. And he goes in to offer up the sacrifice, to offer up the incense, and it brings incredible joy to his heart. And walks in. And all of the people are praying at the same time. Lord, let my prayer come before you as incense and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Psalm 141. And the scriptures say in Exodus that it smelled beautiful. Wonderful. It was pleasing to God. And so the image is that as the saints are praying in the courtyard and as the priest is offering the incense of prayer, that it was like the prayers of the people would go up wrapped in a beautiful envelope of sweet-smelling goodness to God. That's worship. There's joy in recognizing God's hand in the middle of life.
One of the things that I don't want you to miss, and I've got to be honest with you, I don't, I don't think I ever really saw the complete picture of God's hand at work in the, in the story, the birth narrative of not only John, but of the Messiah, of Jesus. And it's a reminder to us that God's hand is upon us. That in the middle of all the brokenness, that God hasn't left us, he hasn't abandoned us, that he has sent the Holy Spirit. And and remember, Holy Spirit, paraclete in the Greek. Paraclete means the one who is besides us, walks with us, walks next to us. God hasn't abandoned us. He didn't abandon Zechariah and Elizabeth. He will not abandon us. I never leave you, nor will I forsake you. But here's the work of the Holy Spirit that I saw that was just so cool to me. Well, I went, oh my goodness, look at, look at how God's hand was in all of this preparation for the Messiah to come. In Luke 1.15 it says this, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, upon John, and the Holy Spirit was upon him even while he was in his mother's womb. The Holy Spirit poured out upon John. In Luke 1.35, when, when Gabriel the mighty one of God, the one who stands in the presence of God. He shows up with Mary. Remember, he says the same thing, and the Holy Spirit will overshadow you as he speaks to Mary. Then in Luke 141, Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, and the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Luke 167, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'll see next week that as he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he prophesies to the people of what is to come. And then Simeon in Luke chapter 2 said he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and that the Holy Spirit had let him know that the Messiah had come. You think any of this is just an accident? You don't think God's hand is upon the working of salvation in the lives of mankind, we can have incredible joy in providence of God, His hand upon us, leading us in love, leading us into truth, showing us salvation through His Son, Jesus. And He brought joy into Zechariah's life. His hand was upon him. Hey, Zechariah, let's go into the temple together. It's not by accident that you got chosen. Because I want to bring you joy. In the middle of this crazy world you live in, and in the middle of a situation where you don't have a son, would you let me just bring you some joy? Where's the joy at Christmas time? Recognizing that God's loving hand is upon us. Things are not out of control. And allow him to lead. Allow him to bring you joy. Because he wants to. And there's joy in answered prayer. Look at verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled. He was basically scared to death. And when he saw him, he fell upon fear. And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. Are you kidding me? 
First of all, he's absolutely startled by Gabriel's, I mean, Gabriel's no wimp, wimpy angel. I mean, he's the stud. He's the guy who stands in the presence of God. And so let me be real clear. Hey, let me just tell you what's happening here, John. I didn't just hear this from the other angel down the street. No, this is what God told me is going to be going down. He's the mighty one before God. That will scare anybody. You ever been startled by somebody so quick? They jump behind a, a door. You ever have your siblings do that to you? Just to scare you. Well, this was scared beyond scared. I'm standing in the presence of holiness. Something's going on. And the announcement is made. You will have a son. He wouldn't be an ordinary son, but the one predicted by Malachi, the forerunner who would prepare the way for the Lord. Gabriel, the mighty hand, the mighty one before God, stands at the right-hand side of the altar. That's the place of honor. And he speaks forth the very words of God to his servant. Here's the news. Your wife, that was barren, is going to have a son. That's impossible. How does this all work out? Trust me. God is a God of impossible things. And he wants to bring you joy. You know, I just read a story. Rajo Devi is her name. Oldest woman to ever give birth on this planet. Just happened November 28th. You know how old she was? 70 years old. Said they had been trying for a lot of years. (laughs) (laughs) They finally went through some in vitro fertilization and at 70 years old, in the middle of everything that's impossible, she gave birth. Zachariah and Elizabeth didn't have all the medical stuff back then. But the 70-year-old woman, and here's what she said, we had longed for a child for so long, and now we are so joyous that this one has come into our lives. God loves to bring joy in the middle of brokenness, in the middle of impossible things. He says, Zachariah, your, your prayer has been answered. Now, you've got to understand something. I, I think this speaks to two things. Zachariah and Elizabeth, I'm pretty sure, had stopped the prayer of, give us a son. Because the scriptures are real clear. They were beyond those, the age of childbearing. But remember what the prayer of the priest was and the prayer of the people all the time as they'd offer the sacrifice? God, send your Messiah. Send your Messiah to redeem your people. Your prayer has been answered. I'm going to send the Messiah that you've been waiting for. And just because I'm a God who loves to give you joy and I'm a God who keeps his oath and fulfills prophecy, I'm going to give you a son. Just because And he announces what's going to happen with his son. Verse 14. This son that you will have will bring you joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. 
for he will be great in the sight of God. His name will be John, the gift of God or grace from God. The theme of rejoicing is all throughout the Gospel of Luke. Luke knows that it is through Christ that he brings joy to his people. And that joy is going to start with Zechariah and Elizabeth. And John is going to be one who will proclaim the truth of the Messiah to come. Like, like the prophet Isaiah said, he will be a voice in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Messiah. And he will speak forth that there is one to come who will bring life and hope and peace and joy. Where is joy at Christmas time? In the middle of the craziness of everything that's going on around us? It's in the providence of God, His hand upon us. It's joy in recognizing that God works in the middle of impossible things. We can receive joy in answered prayer that God hears our prayers and that he answers our prayers and responds to our hearts. And there's joy in Jesus. That's our ultimate joy. We can seek it in so many other places. But the true joy of life is in Jesus Christ. Zechariah had been praying for the Messiah. And there's joy in this season and joy in life in proclaiming the good news. Just like John did, filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's the deal, gang. You and I have the Holy Spirit filled with the Holy Spirit, declaring to the world, listen, Jesus came. He invaded humanity as a babe in a manger. But he didn't just stay this cute, cuddly little boy. He grew up. He grew up because this world needed a Savior, because of death and sin and destruction. And he grew up to pay the price for all of that on the cross. And the good news is this. That if we believe upon his son, Jesus, that we should no longer be condemned, but that we should have life eternal with God. That our sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus. That we can have real life, real hope, Joy to the core because of Jesus Christ. And so my prayer for us is that we would receive that gift of the life of Jesus and that you would experience true joy in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you invaded this world with your love. And that you gave us the gift of your son, Jesus. And Father, I know you grieve over all of the death and destruction that's been taking place. And I know you grieve over those dear families in Connecticut. And Father, we pray collectively as a church family that you would cover that community right now. That you would bring 
hope in the middle of that which seems hopeless. That you bring joy in the middle of heartache. And that people would, would raise up their questions of going, what is this all about? What does this mean? And that they would turn to you, Father. And Father, we thank you that in the middle of all that is evil around us that you came to offer us life. And that you haven't abandoned us, Lord. Remind us that you're ever-present. May we turn our hearts to you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you, Father. We thank you, Father, for the joy that you give us. We thank you for the way that you hold us near. We thank you for your spirit that walks with us, alongside of us. And Father, I pray this morning that you receive our worship, that it's like the days of Zechariah burning the incense, that our worship this morning would be a beautiful aroma to you, that our worship would be pleasing to you, Father, we pray. We love you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.